The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. This is Wanda Wallace. Today we're continuing in our series on influence, perhaps one of the most important skills and maybe the hardest to master, particularly when you're an expert leader who's used to trying to persuade people to do things through rational arguments. So with me today is Hubert Saint-Ange. Hubert is founder of Saint-Ange Alliance, which is a consulting firm focused on strengthening the culture and engaging employees. His experience is based on a lot of corporate experience, both in strategic planning, cultural renewal, collaboration, knowledge sharing, and leadership development. He was at Shell. He was at Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and at Clerica, a number of board appointments, an executive residence, a visiting scholar at Harvard. And if that's not enough, the author of three leading-edge books, one on knowledge-based cultures. So, Hubert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. I'm delighted to be here and delighted to, uh, to be able to talk about the exercise of effective influence with you. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. With all of that, particularly with all the work that you've done as a consultant as well as inside companies, I can well imagine on cultural renewal, on knowledge sharing, on leadership, on acquisitions, integrating acquisitions, you must have had a lot of time to practice influence and to perfect it. At least that's what we want to hear about today. Absolutely. Well, it's um, it's a key skill uh, to exercise leadership. Um, and I must admit, I'm... I'm um, regularly um, humbled by the challenge of influencing people that I work with. So it, it's, um, it's one of those skills that uh, takes a long time to master, and there's, there's really never a day there. I think I've got it for sure. Okay. All right. Now, I know when talking with you that you have three, you talk about three different types of influence that vary depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Explain to us those three different types. So probably, yes, absolutely. So when, when we talk about influencing and uh, we talk to people about becoming effective influencers, we, we ask them to start formulating a plan around their influencing project. And one of the key variables in this plan is to ask themselves what kind of influence is required given the situation uh, where they are. And, and we have uh, labeled these three contexts, uh, do, think, be. So do is, is the gap that we want to influence, the gap between what the person is doing and what their aspirations are. And the think 
what we're asking is, is the people that we are working with, do they have the right assumptions to actually realize their assumptions, their, their aspirations? And thirdly, um, are they being the person that will, or the, the actor in the marketplace, that will actually realize these aspirations? So B is the third level. I'm talking about level to some extent because do is considerably easier than think, and B is the most challenging part of all of this work. But it's important because I'm encountering that many of the influencing projects that I work with people on to help them uh, put together these plans that I was talking about, that uh, B actually um, is an increasing situation where people have to exercise influence. Interesting. I know when I talk to people about compelling communication and creating a message around what you're trying to accomplish, typically these are issues involving change, so influence is rampant through it. And I ask people to say, what is it you want from your listener? What are you hoping your listener will do? And often I get very lame responses. It's often I want people to agree with me. And by being more specific with the do, think, be, you're forcing people to be more granular in what they expect as an outcome. Is that a fair summary? That's absolutely right. And, and um, one of the key things when we're talking about principles of influencing is that we're not there to convince people. We are, in fact, there to support and enable them. It's a very different way of uh, conceiving of this uh, challenge of providing um, service through influencing people. That's a subtle distinction. I'm not there to convince. I'm there to enable them, enable them to realize their goals, an action, a thinking, or a marketplace positioning. Is that exactly, exactly. And, and this really stems from the, the very key principle that if we're out to convince we invite a counterpoint. We invite, so whatever action pushed forward actually brings a counterreaction, and that actually reduces the ability um, to advance uh, the influencing project that we have in mind. Okay, that's, good. that's important. So it reduces the ability because if I am trying to convince, then I'm going to get a counterpoint. Okay, so give us an example. Can you give me an example of somebody trying to influence a do Oh, yeah, so a do is is about someone who has the right um, assumptions in order to get to their aspirations, um, is, is convinced, is committed to be um, that person, but somehow there's a disconnect between those assumptions and, and uh, their identity and uh, what they actually do in terms of actions. And that usually stems from old habits that have stuck. Um, so essentially what we're talking about working with to do is fine-tuning, deepening, and broadening capabilities in, in that context. It's, a, it's about um, acquiring new uh, methods of enacting um, the realization of their goals. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's really about enhancing existing patterns of behavior. Um, so an example, for instance, of a do is, let's say, for instance, we take um, – an example of someone who wants to be an influencer, um, but as an influencer is really into telling and does not engage in dialogues um, uh, to help apply what they have found. Let's say we have um, let's say a market researcher 
um, that has found something in competitive patterns in the marketplace that really influence uh, the decision maker that they're dealing with. Um, what they what they can say is that you know um, they have the same uh, goals as we have, but they seem to be going about it in a more effective manner. This is what we have realized in the marketplace. So it's really about enabling somebody to see the gap between what they do and what they need to do in order to realize uh, their aspirations. Another example might be a company, for instance, that really believes in partnering with its supply chain, has the right assumptions to make it happen, but will deals with them in the end on a transactional basis as though price is the only thing that matters in the relationship. So what we are trying to do in this case is to help the person see how their action is not connected to um, the effective realization of their goals. So this sounds like the realm of feedback, where I'm talking about your actions, I'm talking about the impact of your reactions, and I'm trying to get you to see alternative ways of doing, achieving the goal. That's exactly right, Wanda. The the way to um, realize influence in the context of do is around providing feedback, is around providing uh, data and information that says this is how it seems to be coming through. How do you connect this to the way you're actually going uh, about the about your business? So feedback okay. is the key uh, is the key in a do situation. Absolutely. All right. So now let's go to the second one, where I'm trying to influence people about how they think. Which is, I so, want them to yeah. get the right assumptions. Yeah. So, when, in terms of what they think, what we have is someone who's clear about their aspirations, clear about who they want to be uh, in the marketplace or in their work or whatever, um, but is bringing with them the wrong mindsets. Mindsets that, in fact, may have made them helpful in previous experiences, but the context of the market has changed, the context of the organization has changed, and they need to have different assumptions in order to be effective. So what what we're trying to do when we influence at that level is to understand what someone perceives, and, and you need to understand uh, that that person's mindsets by understanding the assumptions that they have. So it's an in-depth understanding of how they see the world around them and how they feel they need to respond, and that's often based on on past experience. So... So what, yeah. what that means is, is we need to help them renew their assumptions and beliefs to, to, so that they correspond more closely to the evolving reality either of the marketplace, the organization, or the project that they're involved in. It's about, in fact, reinventing the way they go about dealing with situations and challenges, and, and it's about adopting new patterns of behavior, which is um, very difficult. We all know that people get into habits that have made them successful in the past but uh, no longer are uh, effective for them. All right. So now if I'm trying to influence somebody to change their mindset, to recognize that the context has changed, that my past experience maybe is not as relevant as I'm giving it credit for, what's the methodology I use? Because the tendency now is for me to go and give somebody a rational argument that why their mindset is wrong. And I just don't think that's going to work very well. No, that doesn't. And and when we deal with mindset, 
um, we need to be very careful about the way we approach this. It, um, as soon as the person we're working with or the team we're working with or the organization perceives that we are in judgment of them, uh, all conversations about assumptions kind of shut down. The individual is no longer willing to engage in that discussion because we, we hang uh, dearly onto our, onto our assumptions as a rule. So what, what we want to do is engage in conversations about how they see things and and um, how they are actually acting in view of what they're trying to achieve, and then from that help tease out, in fact, the assumption that underlies the way they go about things. By teasing out these assumptions, and in fact, I even use diagrams that are kind of boxes that are cause-effect that says, so I believe that if I do this, this will happen. And... Um, then you help them see, in fact, that this connection uh, is not appropriate anymore, is not effective. Right. So, yes. I was going to say, so the principle here is that I go as to listen and to ask open-ended questions that are going to get somebody to articulate their cause and effect kind of models, and then ask them, do they think those are still appropriate? Is, is that the general principle here? Exactly. In fact, what I say about influencing is that it's about 20% asking pertinent questions and 80% listening and and understanding where the person's coming from, what their underlying logic is, what the, their underlying mindsets are. Listening. So this thing that you're describing and thinking reminds me of a particular technique that we talk about in conflict management, which is certainly related to influence. And the notion is that perspective taking, that I go to engage with a party with whom I have a disagreement to understand where they're coming from. The sole purpose of the conversation is to understand the perspective. And that sounds very similar to what you're saying here as a starting point. Exactly. In fact, you, what you need to, to detect very often is um, when you engage in an influencing discussion, um, it's whether it's really a do gap or whether it's a think gap. In other words, is it, is it about to disconnect between um, assumptions and actions, or is it, in fact, a disconnect between um, assumptions and the aspirations? And when okay. we deal at that level, we need to be careful and we need to engage in very skillful dialogue to surface the assumptions and then ask questions as to whether they believe that in this new context, um, we in fact have the right assumptions. They, they, uh, they actually act out of the right assumptions. Okay. All right. So I get the do, as in the actions, a gap in the behaviors that need to be more effective. I get think as not having the right assumptions or the right context for the current situation, a different causal model than is applicable today. Now explain to me B. What is B? This is the hardest one to get. Yeah, so B is when the person's goals and intentions um, require refining who they are or who they are in the marketplace, what, what their persona is. And it, it's about reinventing um, how they approach things and, and dealing with new situations and challenges. So, for, for instance, um, I was working with a um, discount uh, retailer of women's clothing, very large chain, and um, they were in a declining market situation, and they found that what they needed to do is to become more sophisticated and more responsive 
uh, to fashion trends than they had been because the um, market segment they were serving, even at the discount level, was becoming a lot more selective and a lot more aware of fashion, whereas in the past they would buy things in 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 large quantities and and bring to the store a variety of things that did not match color wise or whatever. They now needed to have that when you walked into the store, it needed to give you a different assumption, a different way of going about things. And yet they were still operating in the, in a discount segment. So that that required, uh, I, you know, from all the way from the store. Uh, itself all the way up the chain to the procurement and things like this and purchasing it requires a completely different way of uh, selecting fashion of generating fashion of um, making sure the sh- the stores have the right merchandise and things like this so the 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 change of b uh for them in the marketplace brought huge amount of change and another, perhaps simpler example of the change to idea is that, is that at the individual level, somebody who's, who's defined herself as an individual contributor, but um, they now have, find themselves in a situation where they have, even though they're an individual contributor, where they have to lead teams, they have to develop other people, and, and all of a sudden they're no longer uh, caring about themselves and managing themselves in their own tasks. It's about working with other people and embedding other people in in the way they conceive of their work. Another example, more at the company level of the B, is um, I live in Waterloo in in Canada, and Black. This is the headquarters of BlackBerry, and uh, we know that BlackBerry um, has suffered a, a huge decline in market share, and it really had to be an identity. They identified themselves as a hardware provider as opposed to a software provider. And um, when Apple came in with very sophisticated software and all of the apps that were applicable, BlackBerry essentially very rapidly disappeared from the market. What's interesting is that people that are looking at Samsung now are saying that they're also um, their identity is more grounded into the hardware and the software, and they're starting to say that if our, if, if Samsung does not um, uh, change. Um, who, what they, they, who they see themselves to be in the marketplace, they will have the same fate. So B is about reshaping how someone sees himself or herself to res- correspond more closely to the changing expectations and market conditions. It's about redefining how someone sees the value added they bring into their role. So it, it leads, in fact, to a, a reexamination of who they need to be in their role. So that's the difference between do, think, and be. So if we had to um, uh, think about this to some extent, in do we have confirmed the aspiration and how it is best approached to help them, ass- and, and you help to assess whether they actually do what they actually do will lead to the realization of these aspirations. For think, uh, we work with them to surface the mindsets that will guide their activities and um, and frame what they're doing in a more effective manner. For B, we talked about who they need to be in order to realize their goals, and so on and so forth. Okay, Hubert, I like this notion about, um, especially B, about how you see yourself in redefining the value that you add. And then you've just done a nice job there of summarizing the do, the think, and the be. 
The last piece I want to make about this, and we're going to take a break, is that you use influence at three distinctly different levels. We can talk about it at the individual to individual or individual to group level, me as an actor. But you also talk about influence, the same language, do think be, both in the marketplace, influencing the marketplace, as well as the company, influencing the company as a culture. Fascinating. Uh, absolutely. I see influencing as, as being very systemic, um, and it, it applies exactly at those three levels that you've talked about. Uh, it implies um, in the bilateral context where I'm working with a business leader, let's say, as a researcher or as an engineer um, or as an economist, and I'm bringing to that person what I believe is information that they need to build into the way they approach things. So that's that's a bilateral kind of interaction. Now, I can also be exercising influence with a management team, and there are such things as um, a collectively held mindsets. So it could be a think issue about this management team that needs to be, and you need to think of the team as a, as the entity that you're trying to influence. Okay. Or if you need, in your influencing project, if your influencing project is systemic, and it's about re- helping the organization redefine uh, its presence in the marketplace, let's say from being transactional to being more solution-oriented, um, and so on and so forth, or to be more product-based, to be more customer-oriented, or to place the customer first, these are identity changes. They're B changes, okay. essentially, and they're very systemic. And it these changes happen with people exercising influence based on their convictions of what will work in the marketplace. Fabulous, Hubert. So do think be operating at the marketplace level, the company level, the individual level, and at the team level. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to continue with Hubert, and I want to talk now about how do you deal with resistance. So with me today is Hubert Saint-Ange from Saint-Ange Alliance with a long history in the corporate world, both on cultural renewal, collaboration, and knowledge sharing. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Hubert Saint-Ange, who's the founder of Saint-Ange Alliance, a consulting firm focusing on strengthening the culture and engaging employees. Hubert has an extensive corporate experience with Shell, Canadian Imperial Bank, Clerica, some board appointments, focusing on strategic planning, cultural change, collaboration, knowledge sharing, leadership development. He's the author of three books, The Conductive Organization about knowledge sharing cultures and Beyond the Deal, focusing on how organizations integrate new acquisitions. We've just been talking about Huvere's framework, his starting point for understanding how to influence, which is understanding what it is you're trying to influence in the other party whether that's what the other person is doing, whether the other person is thinking, or how the other person is being, meaning how they see their value added. And we just noted that this can be applied both at the individual, the team, the company, and the marketplace level. All right, so Hubert, let's go to part two. I got my game plan. I know who it is that I'm trying to influence. I know what I'm trying to influence them on. I walk down the hall to start a dialogue and I meet with resistance. What happened and why? So essentially, when we're talking about influencing, it's really um, based on receptivity. So I could have the absolute right advice. I could, be, I could have very accurate and insightful uh, things to bring forward, but uh, it has to be in view of or in proportion to, if you want, the uh, receptivity of the individual or the team or the organization I'm dealing with. So what's important here is to understand that receptivity is really based on trust and that to a large extent uh, that trust is driven by our ability to engender trust, to dialogue skills, to exchange, um, by instilling um, uh, the right kind of belief in what you're trying to do. And that, in turn, in fact, uh, is influenced by um, who you are and the integrity that you bring as, um, as an influencer and the extent to which you're at the service of, of the person or the organization that you're serving. You, you are not um, self-interested. So let me talk a little bit about um, what happens and why resistance is, is so important. The first point is that it's important to emphasize that influence is a two-way street. Receptivity um, is essential to effective influencing, um, and in fact, that's created by engaging in um, mutually influencing and learning together. So there's an equal relationship with, with interdependence involved whenever we're talking about influencing. So, so wh- sorry. I was going to say, so Hubert, that means if I go to influence someone, for example, and I'm unwilling to be influenced, I'm going to undermine receptivity? Absolutely. So what we're, the process of, of influencing is a process of exchange, a process of learning together. And, and what we're saying is if that mutual influencing of one another in that process 
is, does not take place, we are limiting uh, the ability to influence. This is how the ownership uh, is generated by the person we're trying to influence um, of, of the ideas and the concepts and, and the new um, things that we're trying to bring forward need to be adopted. We engender ownership by engaging together and allowing these people that we're trying to influence to own the, the message. All right, so let me just challenge. I like this notion, though, that you say that it's a mutually influencing. We're learning together. It's an exchange, which means I have to be receptive as much as you have to be receptive. And I get your point that the greater the trust, the more receptive somebody's going to be to the messages that I am bringing to them, whether it's a do, think, or be message. Now, at the same time, sometimes the people I'm trying to influence have competing goals, Sometimes we have a history, not so much lacking integrity, but where we just don't see eye to eye and we don't have the same set of experiences, necessarily the same set of goals. How how do we approach it in that case? Well, so what's very important is um, that the, the, the client, either the individual, the team, or even the organization has interest as the as an interest in in the issues or the themes that we are uh, questioning and that we are addressing uh, as part of the message we want to deliver. And if the interest is there, there has to be a sense on the part of the people that we're interacting with that we are there to help them, that we are at their service. So whenever we enter into, let's say, an office to, to make it real, just enter into someone's office and we're engaging in, a, in an influencing session with them, an influencing conversation, if you want, um, if they perceive that I am there to, uh, in fact, realize my own agenda in a more self-serving kind of manner, um, that will, in fact, very much limit uh, the extent to which we can advance in that conversation. And this is the first question in my, in my experience that any executive has when you show up at their doorstep. Is this person here to help me? Or is this person here to fulfill their own agenda? And in fact, what's underlying this at my expense or through me, in fact, using me to achieve what they want to achieve? What's very important in this case, probably this is the key, most important point about influencing, is that we genuinely, as influencers, have to place ourselves at the service of the person. We have to uh, be there to help them, to enable and support them in realizing their own aspirations. I can imagine that that one's a pretty tough one. Uh, here I am, I have a goal, a target. I need the counterpart to work with me to achieve that goal, that target. And my boss is expecting the results. Maybe it's part of his or her agenda more than it is mine. And you're telling me that the way to have maximum influence is to come with the intent of helping the other person rather than worrying about my goal. Yeah, this congruence, the, the confluence of these two things um, it is part of what we do when we plan the influencing project. How do, how, how do we uh, ensure that there is congruence between the intent of the project and the aspirations of the people that we're dealing with? And making sure that in our presentation of this, uh, there is a total conviction that we are there to uh, help them uh, be more successful. 
And in fact, my commitment to their success has to be visible and demonstrated at every turn through this. It's also possible to enter into a conversation where you say, um, I have to bring something to you that is part of my mandate, but I believe that if I place it in the right context, it's going to be extremely helpful for you in the long term. But that, these are the kinds of things that need to happen in order for the right connect to take place, for the influence to, uh, to be realized. Okay, so I can be honest and say, look, this is part of my mandate or this is part of my expectations or this is what someone else is trying to drive. But I fundamentally believe that this will be good for you or for all of us if you give me a chance to explain the context, the setting, the dynamics. I'm not sure I would present it exactly this way. I would probably just um, uh, reverse the order. Okay. I'm here because in order to be successful as an organization, these are the kinds of things we need to do. And I think that by working together, we can determine how that will help you as well realize the assumptions or the the aspirations that we have jointly. That's the way we present it. All right. So I'm looking for something. I'm looking for an issue that we, or to have the best influence. I want to understand the issues that we have in common. I have to have that the person I'm trying to influence is open to the issue and open to the debate. I have to find a congruence between or commonality between what I believe and how that is good for the other person. And I come to the conversation, to the dialogue, with the absolute conviction that what I'm putting forward is good for the individual that I'm speaking to or the group that I'm speaking to. Uh, absolutely, Wanda. And in fact, when, when I help people, I coach people through influencing situations, I say, if you can't have that conviction, don't show up. Like you need to really um, be on keel in a very genuine matter about that conviction, and to be totally um, honest and confident about that. And until you've reached that level of how to present it, how to shape it, how to work it with this other person, um, then my advice is don't show up. Well, that puts a significant point under what it means to collaborate. Absolutely. And this is why um, so many people encounter um, frustrations is because they believe influencing is about convincing. It's about convincing them to adopt my agenda. And that, wow. in, in my experience, does not work very well. In fact, rarely. And only works if the person feels compelled by some external mandate to do it. But then we're dealing with compliance. And we're, but we're not dealing, what we want is we want the person to take the idea, take the input, and actually um, own it, uh, assume it uh, for themselves. That's what genuine influencing achieves. Otherwise, it's not long-lasting. And, and if we only realize compliance, uh, we know it, that the uh, commitment is not in place and that the person being influenced will turn around at, that, at the first opportunity. All right, so it's it's not a so I'm not creating real change in that case. All I'm doing is getting momentary adaptation. That's right. Okay, so trust then, Hubert, becomes a really important component of this. If you don't trust me, even if I come with a genuine belief in conviction that what I'm going to put forward is good for you, you're not going to believe me. That's right. 
And trust is developed over time. And what I advise people is um, go with the message and the influencing project that the receptivity that you have with this person and the trust level that you have will allow you to bring forward uh, comfortably and demonstrate your commitment, um, gradually enhancing the strength of the message as you go along, as you build trust and you build a track record with this person. All right, so I have to accept that, you know, receptivity may not be my ideal and trust is not the greatest at the moment and I give it time. Is that your advice? I consistently demonstrate? Well, I give it time might might be, for me, too passive. What I'm talking about is engage in an ongoing dialogue around things but gear the dialogue to subjects and discussions uh, that engender a greater level of trust. Okay, so give me an example. um, So what I should probably emphasize here, Wanda, is um, the combination of relationship building and competence. We need both, mm-hmm. both dimensions need to advance at the same time. And people that I work with that are more, um, that are specialists or that need to embed influencing as part of their work uh, tend to go very heavy on competence in order to demonstrate credibility, which is fine, it's important, but if they don't also optimize the relationship building or the warmth axis, if you want, um, they will limit their ability to cultivate this trust and, um, as a result of that, um, enter into more meaningful conversations. Okay, so then it's the quality of the conversations that I construct with the other person, the that's warmth right. that I show, the caring that I show that's going to engender trust. Yes. Yes. And this, um, how we improve then, uh, how we enhance a dialogue and skills is, is really relatively simple at first. It's, it's through what I call a balance of pull and push as a motion in the exchange that goes on, either with the individual, uh, with a team, with a management team, or with um, um, multiple stakeholders in an organization. This is where, uh, this is actually um, realized with what I call 20% advocacy and 80% asking questions and listening. So the 20% advocacy uh, comes in um, not at the front end, but as the person starts answering questions and you listen and you listen intently and you take note and you map in your own mind the logic that's unfolding through that conversation and you can reflect that logic with the individual and say, and don't you think that given that, that we are better off with, right? So that's the form, and the, even the advocacy is in the form of question. Okay. So, um, And this is probably one of the key messages I'd like to leave here, this balance of pull and push. And the balance doesn't mean equal. What I'm talking about is 20% advocacy, 80% asking the right question, the right pertinent question. And the credibility is achieved not by pushing uh, one's point of view, but by asking pertinent questions that the person looks at and says, this person knows what they're talking about because they're asking the right questions. They're going right at the heart of the matter. And that only comes with appropriate preparation on the part of the influencer. Okay. 
This strikes me as very difficult to do, very difficult to prepare for, taking a long time to really imagine how you would unfold this dialogue, this dialogue so that you are asking the relevant questions, that you're listening hard to the answers, and then focusing your next question in a way that's going to really create that pull. It also strikes me, Hubert, that this is the heart and soul of what we call coaching. Yes. Yes, that's right. No, you're absolutely right. Well, coaching is, in fact, the way I define it. Coaching is a, is a process of influencing. Uh, yes, you're you're right. It, it borrows heavily. Um, essentially, um, coaching, uh, change management, um, uh, leading teams, um, exercising leadership, it's pretty well all the same. We can say that. It was interesting because recently, um, and I know that, that, that sounds a little simplistic to say that, but a lot of the common themes kind of come through that. I was doing a session recently with people that are in the business of business intelligence, and there was someone around the room that was a senior advisor to a very senior CEO uh, for several years, and this was an absolutely outstanding CEO. And as I was going through this influencing session, um, this person kept saying, but this is how the CEO I was working was actually ex- exercising leadership. I'm saying, yes, well, a lot of the most effective uh, leadership at this point, what's, what, um, what has been called level five leadership by uh, Jim Collins, um, is in fact um, influencing. What, what, we, what we talk about when we talk about facilitative leadership is, is a leader that understands the management team's as, as stakeholders and understand where the different stakeholders are going to come to on a question and will actually work with them to rethink um, uh, a certain situation, a certain context, and, and for themselves actually come to conclusions. Um, they're not given the conclusions or they're not imposed conclusions. They arrive at a collective understanding that is so much more solid, so much more uh, deeply held uh, than could have been imposed by a leader. Okay. All right. So, Hubert, we're going to take a break here. But the thing that comes through to me about all of this is one is being very, very clear about the thing I'm trying to influence, the actions, the do, the think, the be. And then the second thing is that there's a core set of skills here that are fundamental to just about everything we do on the human side in business. And that is the ability to listen intently, to ask a really thought-reflecting questions, to anticipate where people are coming from, to be able to see the underlying assumptions and thinking that's there and redirect that through the quality of the questions that you ask. Basic question dialogue technique. That's right. And your point earlier is saying that takes time. So my counterpoint to this, Wanda, is if you don't do this, you will waste a lot of time. And if you do do this, and it becomes a habit, and, and you do purposefully plan uh, your influencing work, uh, you will save a lot of time and a lot of grinding away and very frustrating uh, exchanges. So I would argue that once you have done this a few times, it now becomes second nature, and it's, in fact, a lot faster. And probably more effective at the end of the day. Okay, with me today is Hubert Saint-Ange from Saint-Ange Alliance with a long history as a senior executive at Shell, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, Clerica, and a host of other things. We've been talking about influencing and particularly this notion of 
advocacy, this is a long conversation, but this notion of advocacy of bringing people together and the cause that I'm trying to influence has to be in the interest of the other person, enabling the other person. When we come back, I want to get Hubert's final principles about how to do effective influencing. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Hubert Saint-Ange from Saint-Ange Alliance with a long history of corporate environment from Shell, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, Clerica, and a number of boards. We've been talking about influence. And Hubert has sort of two components that he's given us as really strong principles for influence. Not only is it good for influence, it's good for cultural change, it's good for marketplace positioning, it's good for coaching, it's good for leadership, it's good for collaboration. The general principle is first focus on what it is I want from the other party. Don't want them to do something, think something, or be something different. And then the second one is to focus on the receptivity. How do I increase the receptivity in the other party? And that is partly driven by ensuring that my job is there to enable the other one not to convince them. Simple, but quite dramatic. All right, Hubert, what else is really critical for influencing? What are your other key principles? Well, the the one thing that we talked about a little bit that I'd like to um, emphasize is this whole idea of being at the service of and to demonstrate your commitment to the success of the people that you're working with, not your own success, but the, their success. And that the extent to which we can, with conviction, um, enact this, clearly, to be at the service of, if you want, um, in our influencing activities, uh, the better we will be. 
And, and that then brings us clearly into this balance of the push and pull. It brings us into the right balance of relationship and competence, and it gives us uh, the level of trust required to actually bring the right breadth of message so that there's receptivity and, and we're, we can increase that receptivity gradually as we work with the people involved. And, and the last point, perhaps, Brenda, that I could, I could um, kind of underline is that people reject uh, feedback or ideas that, that, will, that they perceive as subtracting from their ability to be in control, their ability to realize their agenda. And if they sense that um, what we are bringing to them, in fact, uh, takes them off uh, their ability to realize their aspiration and to be in control of the way there, um, then um, we lose them. That's very key as a principle. That's also a really powerful statement that people fundamentally want to be to feel some sense of control, particularly around their agenda and around their goals, and that when we are limiting that ability to achieve, to have that sense of control, then we start to lose them. We lose our ability to influence them. I remember very clearly an interaction with a client where um, we were talking about things, and I ended up saying something that what he needed to consider was, X, Y, and Z, given that context. And he reacted very strongly to this advice. It was actually not well-timed on my part. But his reaction was, you're asking me not to be successful when you ask me this. And I knew I was on, on the verge of losing him. So um, what we need to do is to allow people uh, to stay uh, in, in, in full integrity of what they need to achieve and, and, and enable them in doing that as opposed to pushing them too hard. That is an interesting. All right. So if you summarize all of this, what are the things I need to boost my checklist of being sure I do and not do to be effective as an influencer? So the first thing that I would say, the, probably the most important, is that if you are... Um, an economist, a researcher, an engineer, in other words, a specialist that helps the organization see things differently. If you're a business intelligence person and so on and so forth, you have to decide that you're going to be an influencer. In other words, to just put the ideas out there, to just write the report and distribute it, that is not enough to create value uh, and and to really have an impact. Uh, What you need to do is to see yourself as an influencer and to set out to learn to be a good one, because that is fundamental to your success wherever you're going to be, at whatever level you're going to be. Okay. Secondly, influence is about enabling others to be effective. It's not about convincing others or about uh, uh, us winning as influencers. It's, it's not about behaving as though others should listen to you. It's about earning the right to be heard. And that means engaging in, in dialogue and asking the right questions. Okay. In order to do that, Wanda, we need to be aware of where people are coming from. We need to take that into account and, and to really surface that with them so that their concerns, their preoccupations, their issues are brought into the discussion and where it fits into the context where they find themselves. 
Okay. And, and that leads me to the next point, which is, our, the onus is on us to offer well-grounded advice that fits directly into the person's context and that makes their tasks easier, not more difficult, in a sense that they see clearly a pathway to success through that advice. Okay. Another point is beware of mindsets. Beware of mindsets, because mindsets are perceptual filters, fundamentally. They're assumptions that people hold dearly as being at the foundation of their success and understand their mindsets, work with them, and take them into account. And in order to do that, you have to remain respectful and never to be in judgment, never to be in judgment of the person that you're interacting interacting with and remain committed uh, to their success. Okay. And perhaps the last point, Wanda, the very last point. That's fabulous, Hubert. Follow through. Um, follow through. In follow a sense, through. you don't let a conversation just end in a fishtail, uh, talk about the next steps, and come back. Go back to them with a summary of the conversation. Talk about the next things you'd like to discuss with them. So keep the conversation going through very well-crafted follow-through. Okay. Right. Hubert, as I listen to all of this, the thing that strikes me the most about the conversation um, is are two sentences from you. One is that influence is not about convincing other people. Influence is about mutually influencing, meaning I have to be as open to change myself as to the person that I'm trying to change. I think that's a fundamental difference. And then the second component for the kind of influencing that you're talking about is this notion that I am there to be of service to the other person, to help the other person succeed in their goals and aspirations. Boy, do those two fundamentally change how we think about um, influence. So, Hubert, thank you for being here with us today. It was my pleasure, Wanda. Thank you. It's a lot to think about and a lot to digest. Hubert Saint-Ange from Saint-Ange Alliance, which is a consulting firm that helps strengthen culture and engage employees, and now I understand why. With us next week will be James Shu. And he's going to talk about his experiences in transitions in his career from an expert to a manager and back again to an expert. So join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 